We've simply never seen a console war quite like this, as PlayStation delivers a counterpunch to Xbox. Good morning, good Tuesday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for February 1st, 2022. It comes bright and early every weekday to our patrons who pledge at patreon.com sifted, and it's delayed a couple days for everyone else. If you like our content, we also have a separate podcast feed for our flagship show, Game Face, that you can find by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of all the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. That's right. After Xbox went on a spending spree purchasing Bethesda and Activision Blizzard, PlayStation strikes back with the purchase of Bungie for $3.6 billion. Now, I don't want to discuss this too much because Matt and I will be breaking it down later on today on Game Face at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. Be there or be square. <laughs> but there's so much to this story that there's plenty to go around for Good Morning Gaming and for Game Face. So I'm just going to kind of touch on the periphery around this deal or maybe just focus on one or two elements of it. Really what I want to discuss here for our purposes on Good Morning Gaming is the slippery slope that we're starting to head down at this point. Someone asked me and asked Shane anything if I felt that Xbox buying Bethesda and then Activision Blizzard was dangerous, meaning that the industry could become too consolidated, one company could become a monopoly, that would there be antitrust issues, things like that. And I said no. I said probably Xbox would need to buy one or two other big publishers before I would start to get nervous. Never assuming that it would become an arms war between PlayStation and Xbox and that PlayStation would actually fire the next round of shots by purchasing Bungie. Now, again, I don't want to talk about whether buying Bungie was a good idea or a bad idea. We'll get to that on Game Face. But I do feel like the industry is going down this very dangerous alleyway right now, a dark alleyway, where everything is going to get snatched up that's worth being snatched up. And you're going to end up with maybe the big three, the bigger three, or the big two and Nintendo. Because... Nintendo is not going to do this. Even though between PlayStation and Nintendo, Nintendo's actually in a better place financially to pull the trigger on deals like this. PlayStation, on the other hand, not so much. I'm surprised that PlayStation managed to convince Sony corporate that it was a smart purchase to spend $3.6 billion for a studio that's made essentially two games. I'm shocked, actually. The Sony Corp signed off on this. But now that it has, I feel like the dam has broken. And I would not be surprised if in the next couple weeks, maybe the next month or two, we get another announcement that PlayStation has bought another publisher. Could it be Square Enix? Possibly. That probably makes the most sense. Could it be Ubisoft? Less likely, but still possible. The problem with Ubisoft is that it makes 
so many games similar to PlayStation's best first-party games already. You're basically buying Ubisoft for open-world action games, and PlayStation already makes some of the best of those in the industry. So it's not exactly a perfect fit in that way. Square Enix, you have its Japanese side. You would have Final Fantasy exclusive to your platform forever. There are also all the Western studios that Square Enix owns, and they're no slouch. They're pretty good, too. So I'm a little nervous that this could become an arms race between Xbox and PlayStation. And don't think for a minute that Xbox today didn't raise an eyebrow when Sony announced this news. It was a shot across the bow. It was PlayStation telling Xbox, we're not going to let you just run wild. That we're going to check you when we can, and we're going to make purchases when they make sense. And again, we'll talk about whether this actually makes sense later on today on Game Face. I do not want to live in a world where all the biggest and best games are under three umbrellas. I just don't. Right now, Xbox and PlayStation are saying the right things. They're saying, you know, we're going to give these studios autonomy. They're going to operate on their own. We're going to satisfy any contracts that have been signed with these developers, with other publishers or other platform holders. We're in the honeymoon stage right now with this stuff. But you have to remember that these purchases are forever. Forever. What happens in 12 years with these studios? We've seen with Electronic Arts in the past where it snatched up studios. It puts on a good face at first, says all the right things, and then eventually it ends up chopping them. I don't know for sure that that's going to happen with these big purchases by Xbox and PlayStation, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. It's very easy to have a short-term view on this stuff and say, oh, right now, Call of Duty is still going to come out for PlayStation, and you know they're going to keep producing Call of Duty games the way that they always have with multiple studios. I don't see that continuing in a couple years, honestly. But when you have so much power concentrated under so few umbrellas, it's typical for corporations that big, when I worked in corporate America, getting assimilated into the Borg. Eventually, no matter how autonomous you try to keep these companies, they are eventually going to be forced to get in line with the new corporate culture or else. And so words are nice, platitudes are nice, autonomy is nice, until there is no autonomy. And I do worry that as time goes on and the shine is kind of worn off of these big deals, how these studios are going to be treated and what's going to happen to them. Inevitably, probably a lot of them are going to go away, but you don't want to think about that now. All you want to think about is the good stuff. What's going to happen when Bungie starts making games for PlayStation? Um, what's going to happen with Activision and Xbox? It's exciting right now. It's like getting a new toy on Christmas morning. And those first few days... It's a lot of fun, and you can't get enough of that new toy. You wake up the next day, and you run straight down to it, and you start playing with it again. By the first week, things start to change, and uh, you have other toys that you like. You have other things that you get into, and next thing you know, that toy's laying in the corner of your bedroom, not to be touched for months and months. So it is just human nature for things to play out this way. And when you have, again, so many studios under so few umbrellas, the chances of that happening are way too high. So I am now getting very nervous, and I, I can understand where you'd be like, oh, well, 
Shane, you were cool with it while Xbox was doing it. Now that PlayStation's doing it, it's a different story. It is a different story. I never expected PlayStation to do this. I honestly never expected Xbox to snatch up another studio. I would have been surprised if it bought another publisher, but I didn't expect it. Now that this has happened with PlayStation, I think it's likely that Xbox decides to pick up another publisher. So this is one of those things where competition is not good. (laughs) Normally, competition is always good. It results in better products for the end users like us. But this is a case in corporate America, or just the corporate environment in general, where competition could actually lead to something really bad. And if you're a Nintendo fan right now, you've got to be a little bit nervous, because again, I do not see Nintendo doing this. It doesn't really make sense with the way it's, it's operated as business for the last four decades. It just doesn't do that. So the waters are choppy right now in the games industry. Um, I don't think we'll see the waves come ashore for quite a while. I think three, four years from now is when we'll really see what these acquisitions mean. But for now, I'm definitely guarded and at least a little bit nervous. All right, now for some more stories from the top of your SIFs. One of my favorite games from 2021 is revving up to make the transition to TV and film. It Takes Two from Hazelight Studios has been signed by DJ2 Entertainment for both TV and film adaptations. This is the same studio that produces Sonic the Hedgehog and an animated Tomb Raider film for Netflix. It's also reportedly working on a Sleeping Dogs movie and a Disco Elysium movie as well. It Takes Two, however, is yet to be signed, but Variety is reporting that there's already a bidding war for the rights, so it's only a matter of time until we find out where it's going to land. I gotta say, It Takes Two, of all those game properties I just announced, might make the most sense for TV and film. It's a sitcom already, and I would argue that we don't get enough films and TV shows based on video games that are fun. Sonic the Hedgehog, certainly an exception. But most shows and films based on games are just drop-dead serious. I think it takes two with the banter between the husband and wife trying to patch things up while they're going through all these trials and tribulations. I think it could make for one of the very best video game-based TV shows or films. We'll see. And that's not all. Last week on Good Morning Gaming, I mentioned that Dwayne The Rock Johnson was working on a new video game movie. I guessed that it was Call of Duty, and I guessed right. Now the studio needs to decide which era the film will take place in. Call of Duty has been set in World War II, it's been in the near future, so there's a wide range of outcomes. The film itself has already been in production since way back in 2015, so probably most of that stuff is set in stone. They're probably just trying to figure out who's going to be their actors, where they're going to film it, all the nuts and bolts of film production, but we should know more very soon. MLB The Show 22 was announced today. Now remember, last year was the first season the former PlayStation exclusive was also released for Xbox. It ended up making the top 20 for sales last year, so the strategy definitely worked. So it's no surprise that this year's game will also be a multi-platform release, and honestly, it probably will be forever. The cat's out of the bag now. Sales more than doubled for the game last year compared to years prior. It's a no-brainer. It launches April 5th, so you don't have to wait too long. Now, now the big question is whether 
there's an actual MLB season this year or not. Right now, the MLBPA, the Players Association, and the owners are at an impasse on the new collective bargaining agreement. That's basically the contract between the players and the owners that they adhere to for as long as the CBA is signed for. Um, I'll be honest with you, as a Pirates fan, I have completely turned my back on baseball. I don't care anymore because I just feel like it's impossible for small market teams to be consistently competitive. So if an MLB strike results in a salary cap and floor, I'm all for it. I still think even if there is a strike, MLB The Show 22 will probably still be released on April 5th. A Gran Turismo 7 state of play is happening tomorrow, February 2nd. Sony's take on the Nintendo Direct will feature a massive 30-minute preview of the PlayStation-exclusive racing sim. It's actually scheduled for release on March 4th, so there's just over a month for PlayStation to blow it out before players need to figure out whether they're going to buy it or not. As always, keep your browser pointed to sifted.net, as we'll have the broadcast curated for viewing as it happens live. If you're wondering where the second part of the Final Fantasy VII Remake is hiding, Square Enix announced today that we'll finally get some information on it sometime this year. Well, actually it said maybe. <laughs> we wouldn't be surprised if we don't since it took forever for part one to be completed, but this is the 25th anniversary of the original game's release, so hopefully we get something. I wouldn't count on playing it until late next year or 2024. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. Today's topic is related to video games, but it's also related to much more than that. I want to talk today about being competitive. I am extremely competitive, probably too competitive. And I'll be honest, it can be a freaking curse at times. I gamify everything. Everything I do, I try to find the quickest, most efficient way to do it. I actually compete against myself. And when you say compete against yourself, what are you talking about, Shane? No, I'm not talking about setting ghost lap times in Mario Kart or speedrunning single-player campaigns to try to set the world record for completing a game. It's not that. It's just a general nature of being competitive. I, for example, try to be efficient in everything I do. And when I say everything I do, it's not just my work for Sifted. And I do have to be efficient working for Sifted because I have to do so much that has to be completed and has to be completed perfectly. I am also a perfectionist. So I'm a competitive perfectionist, which make, can make life really hard at times. So I do try to find efficiencies while producing stuff for Sifted. I have to. How else could I do this podcast every day while also doing all the other stuff that I have to do for the site and for our content. I have a lot on my plate. So it's it's a no-brainer that for work-related stuff, I compete with myself to try to find better, smarter, and faster ways to do just about everything. But that extends out to my entire life. 
I'm so competitive that I try to find ways. For, for example, I'll be walking to our apartment door from the elevator. And instead of putting my stuff down and fishing through my pockets for my keys, putting the key in the door, opening it, and then picking my stuff up, I have learned how with one hand to pull my keys out of my pocket, toss them up in the air, snag the key to my apartment door out of midair, and put it into the lock and walk in. That's the extent that I am constantly looking at more efficient ways to do things. That saves me eight seconds. And to me, that matters because I'm competitive with myself and with my own time. Being competitive or not being competitive, I feel like plays into the games that you are going to like or the games that you're not going to like. A lot of people who say, They don't like first-person shooters. I don't really think that they don't like first-person shooters. I think they're just not competitive, and they don't enjoy competing. And for most people, playing a first-person shooter is a competitive experience. Now, obviously, some shooters have single-player campaigns, although not many anymore. Even Call of Duty's campaigns only last a few hours. That's why it was so refreshing to play a fairly lengthy campaign in Halo Infinite. They just don't come around that much anymore. So most people look at shooters and say, oh, that's competitive. That's esports. That's, I don't want to do that. I don't care about beating people that I don't know or chatting with random people online. They look at it as a competitive game. I would argue, as I said, that I don't think they even dislike shooters. I don't think they dislike the mechanics of a first-person shooter. I think they dislike the fact that most of the time spent playing them, you're playing against other human beings and you're not playing a really compelling single-player campaign. Now, Far Cry would be an exception to that rule. Um, it also has, I mean, really all it has is a really long single-player campaign in an open world, so there are exceptions. But I think most people, when they say that they don't like shooters, what they're really saying is, I'm not competitive. And that's okay. I'm not begrudging anyone who isn't competitive. In fact, as I said, it can be a curse. So outside of gaming, being competitive has put me in weird positions before. Um, I don't look at people that I work with as an opponent or a competitor, really. But my coworkers push me to work harder and push me to work better and push me to work smarter. And sometimes that comes across in the workspace as me competing with people because someone will do something great and I'll, and I'll be inspired by it. And I'll be like, oh, well, that gives me an idea for something that I can do. And it's not that I'm trying to outdo my coworkers or anything like that. It's just that other people inspire me. This happens in video games too. If I play Rocket League and I see somebody do something that I've never done before, I try to learn how to do it. Why not? That's how you get better, learning from people who are better than you. And again, I would argue that I'm not competitive in the work environment. But if I have a great boss, I get better. They improve me because I push myself to ascend to the level that they're at. And it's not that I'm competing with them and I want to take their job. It's I want to better myself and I am competitive in doing that. I competitively try to improve myself. But, as I said, it can sometimes rub people the wrong way. Sometimes when I play sports, and this is really the true 
essence of competitive nature. Sometimes when I play sports, I'll play sports that I'm not great at. I have some sports that I'm good at, and I can play with pretty much anyone, and I won't look like a fool. Then there's some sports that I'm not that good at. I have played hockey for years. I'm still not very good at it, but that does not keep me from being competitive. In fact, it maybe makes me more competitive, and it drives people crazy. I'm the pesky gnat, so I'm not good at basketball either. I'm okay. Like, I was good enough to make the team in high school, but I mostly rode the bench in basketball. I'd probably play four or five minutes per game. I was like the second or third guy off the bench usually. I just didn't enjoy basketball as much as I enjoyed football and baseball, which were the two sports that I was actually really good at. But I was crazy competitive. And the reason I was the second or third guy off the bench, it's not because I could shoot or I could handle the ball really well. It's because I was a demon on defense. My competitive nature, again, okay, I can't dribble that well, I'm not a great shooter, but one thing I can do is use my athleticism to defend really hard, and I drive people crazy, because they know I'm not that good. But, what I'll do is embarrass them every once in a while. I'll block their shot, and everyone's like, oh, the guy who isn't very good just blocked your shot. Or in hockey, I'll block a shot, and then take it the other way and score, and people are like, everyone knows that I'm not one of the better players that's playing out there. But they're like, oh, his annoying hustle actually got some results. As I said, being competitive can be good. It makes me better in a lot of ways and a lot of different things I do. It can also be harmful. I do feel like at certain points in my life, my competitive nature has harmed personal relationships that I've had, not just at work or in gaming, but all over my life. Girls. <laughs> I was in high school. It was competitive to date girls, and I didn't care what guys and other social cliques thought of me. If I met a girl that I really liked, I'd ask her out, and they're like, oh, she's a prep, and you're a skater. I didn't care about any of that, and it drove them crazy. <laughs> so being competitive can make you friends. If you find other people who are just as competitive as you because you feed off each other and you make each other better, being competitive can turn people off too, particularly people who are not competitive. So it's a curse that you can use to your advantage. And I don't begrudge people who aren't competitive, but I do think generally people who like to compete are the ones who tend to want to improve themselves on a day-to-day -day basis. All right, thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. And while you're there, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today, because there will never be another.